This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Jorge Torres Mora, Assistant Professor of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Torres Mora is an anatomic pathologist and program director of the Bone and Soft Tissue Pathology Fellowship at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, uh, Justin. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I feel honored, and I think it's a very relevant, very hot topic in molecular in pathology. I'm happy to be here, and hopefully I can uh, help to spread a little bit more of awareness on discipline. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's exactly what we're going for, is this kind of blending on how do we think about anatomic pathology, but then also all this molecular information. Maybe you can kick us off with why is molecular information important for you and your practice to integrate in anatomic pathology? Nowadays, with all these molecular advances, the field of pathology is completely different to what it was only let's say a decade ago, right? So many new uh, discoveries, so many new technologies. We are doing a good job incorporating them into the clinical practice. So the molecular pathology is important for me as a pathology, as a diagnostician for several reasons. But I would uh, say three important things. One is diagnosis, which is what I do. That's my main job. I diagnose what a tumor is, et cetera. Is benign, malignant, what subtype, what lineage. The other important thing that is a little bit more helpful for the clinician is therapeutic and prognostication. I can tell you a little bit about more every one of those uh, reasons. You know, diagnostic, for instance, we are uh, lucky nowadays to have one extra layer of verification for our diagnosis in the past. It was a uh, Okay, unusual tumor, not very specific for, uh, it doesn't fit in a specific box. So I don't know what it is. I think is this. Other experts would say, I, I think is the other thing. Other experts would say a different thing. Nowadays, we have an extra layer of information that we can incorporate. We can do a molecular a technique and we can tell us, oh, you know what? This has a specific fusion. And, oh, pathologist one, two, or three, it has the right answer. This fusion is diagnostic for such a such a specific entity. That's one reason, more accuracy in diagnosis. Second reason is, you know, we are discovering what we thought the normal morphologic spectrum of some tumors is actually wider than we initially believed, right? We see that, for instance, recently we have seen a couple of cases. Uh, I, I give you one example of many, extraskeletal myxoconosarcoma, a very classic malignant tumor, but with a protractive a clinical course. You know, Nowadays, we are seeing cases that look a high-grade spindle cell sarcomas, and then you look at it, and you wouldn't think this is an skeletal myxoconosarcoma until you do the molecular, and you, you find the characteristic fusion or characteristic gene rearrangement, and you say, oh, wait a minute, let me go back to that slide. And then, yes, yeah, sure enough, in retrospective, you go back and look at those little foci in between the high-grade tumors that look like classic Extraskeletal myxoconosarcoma, right? So it's, it's very important for us to expand the spectrum, the true spectrum of tumors, another layer of verification and further, you know, expand our knowledge about tumors. 
Recently, one of the best examples is uh, small round blue cell tumors. You know, Ewing sarcoma, one of the most common small round cell sarcomas in kids, if not the most. In the past, everything was Ewing sarcoma or Ewing light sarcoma, right? Nowadays, with the, all this availability of molecular techniques, we are seeing that the tumors that in the past we used to call Ewing light sarcomas are actually a very heterogeneous group of tumors that have different molecular alterations, a different prognosis, different response to treatment, and, and it's not just a single entity. So that's very useful for the clinicians, for the parents to know what, what to expect. This tumor is going to respond to you in therapy or not, etc. for a variety of reasons. And lately, you know, therapeutic is so important, you know, with all this precision targeted uh, treatment on, for a variety of tumors, I can tell you many of them, but one of the most successful stories we heard of lately is the entrecomas, right? One of those tissue agnostic treatment, right? Like the clinicians can treat locally advanced or metastatic NTRK rearranged tumors, regardless of what we see on the slide. They are trying to get rid of us in a way, but <laughs> hopefully it doesn't happen in my lifetime. But, but it's one of those things that we tell them, listen, this tumor has an NTRK1 rearrangement, they can treat it with NTRK inhibitors and the patient can respond wonderfully. And is that just one story of many others? I think we are in the early stages, but I hope in the, in the near future, these stories become more and more and more uh, frequent and everybody can have, you know, a very specific tailored treatment to, to a specific tumor, specific person. Yeah, and I, I like how you're highlighting how this is really made and really continues to reinvent pathology really in the tip of the sphere for what's the accurate diagnosis, therapeutic we should use, what kind of prognostic information. You've really articulated that. Something else in your answer that I just wanted to pull out here and maybe ask a follow-up question. This is something that in the last 10 years really has been a revolution. And so something I'm interested in, and how do we learn new information? Because I imagine that you could say, well, you know, there's a lot of molecular information that's come out new, but I'm sitting here focused on my morphology or something. But how did you recognize that molecular information was really a critical competency for you to develop as an anatomic pathologist? Because this, this has happened during your career so far. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, and I can tell you, you know, even like I said, at 10 years ago, I was in a, in a different hospital, a very big cancer center doing my fellowship there. And we didn't even have the availability of fish for MDM2 for well-differentiated liposarcomas, which now, uh, nowadays is almost unthinkable not to have it, right? So yes, I have kind of um, my career has been developed along the new discoveries of molecular. So I have seen this evolution along my, my relatively short career. It is, is very important. So how do I recognize it? Well, it's kind of impossible not to in the place we were, right? We work with, uh, with so many different teams and colleagues that are always up to date trying to find what's the best uh, for the patient, what's out there, what's new. That's very important. They call me, hey, listen, the oncologist, for instance, they tell me, what about this uh, imatinib for Gs? Is, is this Gs a, a kid mutation or not? It's just an uh, example of many. Mm -hmm. So that make me, you know, oh, let me look into that. Let me see what's out there. Uh, 
what can we do to, to, to tell you this particular tumor has a kid mutation or not? Then I go and ask my molecular colleagues, right? My, the molecular, I don't do molecular. I'm just, a, a, I'm not part of that select group of smart people. I just do whatever they come up with. But every time I have a question, I go ask them, hey, listen, what do I have? I want to prove this tumor has a kid mutation. Why do I do? So they tell me, okay, go do the GIS panel. I'm going to test you know, mutation for the exon so-and-so. We're going to test for PDGFR alpha. We're going to test for SDHV, et cetera. So first of all, going back to your question, the other uh, colleagues always push you, especially here at Mayo Clinic, to be at the advance in the front edge of the most recent advances, right? My other pathology colleagues that do similar things that I do, there is always communication, sharing of cases, and I learn from them, right? The most senior colleagues, they all, also from the more juniors, you know, that we exchange information and, and you know, we share cases and, and, and stories, you know, like uh, I have a similar case and I did this and I contacted this and this, I have this new paper, I went to this course, etc. So it's a, a group effort where you have to be always uh, alert and try to, to be up to date to see what's out there. Join us for the Virtual Surgical Pathology Symposium held via live stream May 13th, 2022. Visit news.mailclinicalabs.com backslash edu conferences for more information. I like that you're highlighting colleagues both within, you know, your team as well as outside. And as I hear you starting to pick up, what are people interested in? What are the oncologists talking about? That's been a driver as well as conversations. It sounds like during your um, pathology conferences with them, do you find yourself going to different sessions then when you go to conferences? Are you specifically paying attention to ones that have a molecular thread through them? No. We go to interdisciplinary conferences here uh, that are more focused on what I do, right? The, the bone and soft tissue with my colleagues, you know, the interdisciplinary groups, the, the orthopedist oncologists, right? We have every Thursday morning, we have a, a joint conference with other services, radiology, oncologists, etc. Uh, we all get together and, and they present cases. And at the end, they give a very nice little summary what's out in the literature. And we all get to pitch in or, or, or you know, if somebody has a question for a specific discipline, a specific specialty, somebody answers. And that's how you learn and, uh, from your colleagues. And now from uh, the outside, also the outside conferences, you know, I don't go to a specific molecular. I try to go, you know, mostly virtual, you know, morphology uh, in general, because I do a lot of general uh, surgical pathology. And there is a little bit of everything, uh, morphology, immunohistochemistry, molecular in every single one of them. So basically you put everything together, you know, and then you integrate and adopt what your colleagues need and what you think it is important. I see. And so what do you think for our audience, right, which is a mix of uh, students, clinicians, laboratory professionals, how do you recommend that we all continue to embrace new opportunities in clinical practice? Well, I guess the most important thing, uh, Justin, is to create uh, channels of communication with, with your colleagues, the other teams. If you don't create those channels of communication, 
education, you are not, you're gonna be caught off of the, of the most, you know, cutting edge technology, what your colleagues need from you, you're gonna be stuck in the past. So most important thing is create relationships, communicate with them. What do you want from me? What do you need? I try to ask my colleagues, hey, what do you need in my report? Is this enough for you? Do you want me to do any specific test that is gonna help you? Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, not every molecular test is helpful for them. So we have to be aware that, you know, not to waste resources, right? So it's, it's a constant communication. But I would say that the communication with your clinical colleagues and your own interest to keep yourself up to date, what's out in the literature to what your other leading hospitals doing is very important. Of course, uh, you know, very uh, important to keep in mind that you are here, the main reason are the patients and the better you do your job, the most the, the, the patients are gonna uh, benefit and it's gonna give you more satisfaction and fulfillment, you know, that's why we, we are here. I'm kind of struck by how you're talking about setting up these channels of communication. How has this changed or has it changed since you started practice? You know, we're talking about how molecular has kind of come down the pike and really been something new that's added onto your practice. Is this importance of channels of communication? How has it changed in recent years, do you think? It may be just my imagination, but I think in the past, at least when I was a fellow, a resident, a lot of times it's like the pathologist, just tell them what it is, and then the clinician decides what to do, because you just tell them the diagnosis and just a diagnosis, and, and you don't offer a, too much more information, right? Of course, prognostication is always important, and, and the morphology is enough to prognosticate sometimes. But nowadays, there are so many things that, as a pathologist, we can offer, you know, like I said, uh, therapeutic implications, uh, new new entities that in the past we didn't know about and we are starting to create new classifications, new schemes. So it's, I think the pathologists nowadays have way more to offer, not only diagnostic, again, therapeutic and, and prognostication, even, even more than in the past. Wow. So it sounds like that communication has always been a constant, but has gotten more complex in recent years. Exactly. Way more complex. And that's a good point. You, you, you're right. Hitting the nail right there because there is so uh, complex is the word. Uh, so much information out there. So many new uh, discoveries every day that it's hard to keep up. Now you have to work with your colleagues to filter what's important, what's clinically significant, what's going to help the, the patient. Basically, what is true signal, what is background noise, right? So for that, you cannot do it with, by yourself. You need the, the help of your colleagues and a good team effort. Wow, that's been wonderful. So we've been rounding with Dr. Torres Mora. Thank you for taking the time to talk about molecular in anatomic pathology and really on this theme of talking about uh, complexity and communication. It has been my pleasure. Thank you. And if you, our audience, would like to hear more on this topic, be sure to register for the Virtual Surgical Pathology Symposium 2022, where our very own Dr. Torres Mora will be presenting cases on bone soft tissue. This conference is being held on May 13th, so check the show notes for the link to register. 
To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Thank you.